You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. In today's episode, we will be discussing Iron and Steel, structural steel fabricator, LCC instructor Vern Messler is here to talk about what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Vern has a, an, an extraordinary background. Um, I'm actually sitting here with a living legend. 34 years as a structural steel fabricator, 46 years as LCC's welding instructor. He's been a project manager for the restoration of historic riveted bridges. He's designed and fabricated a number of um, ornamental iron sculptures. A list of his presentations, awards, and achievements is too long to list. I mean, it's just, it's vast. It's, uh, welcome to Art Heavens here, Vern. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You know, yeah. we've, we've crossed paths over the years, and you're on the heavy hitting end of, of getting things done around here. So it's thrilling talking to you and having you down here. Well, thank to, you. To share some thank of your experience. So um, I'm just going to start out, like, from the beginning. You've been here for a minute. What motivated you? To get into steel, what was it? Was there somebody in your past? Was oh, it- I like that question. I really like that question. I, students, this is really the truth. Yeah. The students, they, they, how did you start your career in welding? As well, one day the uh, foreman came out, the shop, and they needed somebody to sweep out the office and somebody to tack weld. And you know, I got to do tack welding. If not, I would be teaching janitorial services because <laughs> that's the way it was. You yeah. know, you didn't uh, aspire to become a welder or, you know, and from that I uh, developed my skills in welding, went into fit up. I love fitting up, and I was primarily fit up heavy structural material and then eventually became a foreman, and I, most of my career in steel fabrication, we worked as a foreman in the heavy structural department, actually. I see. Um, putting men to work, putting the stuff together. And I think that's why when I worked with the Calhoun County Historic Bridges, I was able to take all the th- what I learned at Lansing Community College, what I learned in steel fabrication, and I was also a materials manager and take all those skills and restore those bridges. And I actually use all those skills a lot, too. Some of these projects I did on West Campus. The first one you've been aware of is the Moon House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Worked with uh, Jim Perkins. He was the architectural instructor. And he had a student take a magnifying glass at that time mm-hmm. in an 1895 picture and got the dimensions, come out with the dimensions to create a print. Nowadays, you just run it through a computer and everything generates. Right. And they drew it all up, and he brought the print down to me in the welding lab and said, can you do this? Yeah. So I got some students together, and uh, working off that print, come up with <laughs> Darius Moon's architectural feature that the people that owned the house, I think they were named Small. They owned the Small's department store in Lansing. Mm-hmm. They felt in 1940s, they felt that structure dated the house so they scrapped it out really <laughs> and so we replicated it and so now it's there so that was my first project working with students i think that's what i really enjoy the most is working with students and doing these type of things imparting the knowledge well something that struck me in looking at you sent me over your papers because i wanted to know more about you you have an associate degree from lcc majoring in business and welding right and your career is comprised of 
practically every facet of steel fabrication. You don't have a degree in metallurgy? No. Mechanical engineering, no. engineering in general. No. This is stuff that you picked up. Yes. You learned this stuff. Well, that's an interesting question. Joe Bezowitz, mm -hmm. he was an instructor. He taught metallurgy and heat treating. Mm -hmm. You could be asleep in his class and learn something. <laughs> he was an amazing good, huh? instructor. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a, um, my skills in learning understand metal beyond welding it, beyond hammering on it, yeah. was uh, with Joe, but not a degree in it, but uh, it was part of the... Uh, Lansing Community College had a great, uh, and they teach, continue to teach metallurgy. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the industrial skills I en enhanced through Lansing Community College. I can't imagine the uh, evolution of technology that you witnessed over the years. Oh. Um, because, you know, welding, we marketed, you know, I work in marketing here. Mm -hmm. Dr. Knight, our previous president, was very big into promoting the welding program. And we should show pictures of underwater welding. I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> um, you know, welding in outer space, you know, all the friction welding, all this, you know, science fiction bordering mm -hmm. on, you know, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Personally, I feel like I missed out by not taking your class. I really could have benefited <laughs> as, a, like, as an artist and designer. You're just an extremely unique combination of technical expertise, creativity, and overall practical experience. Well, it isn't, it isn't too late, Bruce. You can come down any time and we'll put you behind a well. You know, I just, I, I did. I, I enrolled for a creative welding course in the dark. The helmet freaked me out. I, I couldn't get acclimated. Plus, my son was there and it was just, we weirded out and, and backed out of it. And you know, I seemed like, felt like I was out of my element. But man, it really would have been great. Well, you've been here, welding instructor. You're also the project manager for the restoration of historic riveted bridges. Right. Now, is that just in Michigan or is that nationwide? Well, I was teaching a welding beginning class here and Dr. Frank Hatfield taught civil engineering at MSU. I still work with him a lot and have breakfast from time to time, talk about bridges and steel. Mm -hmm. And he attended my class because he had students that worked on the bridge contest. You know, it's not historic bridges, but engineering students would construct these bridges. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to save a bridge years ago in Jackson County, and I couldn't do it. I tried to get LCC, and they, you know, just couldn't do it. So I had to let it go, and I, in every class, I always talk about it. And Dr. Hatfield, he said, well, Vern, if you want to save old bridges, there's a guy down in Calhoun County that wants to save 15 of them and put them in a park. Really? And so we immediately went down, my wife and I went down and uh, talked to a fellow by the name of Dennis Randolph. He was managing director of Calhoun County. Mm -hmm. And his vision was to have a park with 15 of these things. And he already had two of them. I told him I'd do it. Signed me up as an independent contractor. And I started in 1995 and worked for 10 years and restored five bridges. So these were like exhibits, living exhibits that right. people can that's visit. What, and yeah, walk that's in. what they is. Uh, and actually, it's Dr. Robinson. One of the first things he did was go down there and visit the bridges. I believe it. I saw the pictures of our current president, uh, Dr. Steve Robinson, heavily fascinated. He's very curious and inquisitive all over the board, but mm -hmm. just I saw him operating the riveting gun. It was during a demonstration. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Rivet hammer, right. He, um, yeah. And he's fascinated with this bridge across the river down here, you know, that railroad bridge. So mm -hmm. now he took a, quite an interest in it, and uh, 
Uh, we got him down there. <laughs> got him down there. Well, I think he he did a, uh, a show, showed him how to do it. And then the second time, we had a, a Society of Industrial Archaeology, and they were come down, and we did a demonstration with them, and he introduced, you know, he did the first really? uh, couple, three rivets yeah. and did a little talk. How cool is that? Uh, and I really appreciate the fact that management has continued to take an interest in what we're doing. But the staff, the welding staff, Roger Morrison, mm -hmm. Jeff Haynes are for the first two, and now there's um, Scott Pohl, lead instructor now, and mm -hmm. then uh, Jeff Haynes, Jeff Seeley. But Roger Morrison and Jeff Haynes, when I left Calhoun County, I took the rivet equipment with me, mm -hmm. and uh, they gave me some of the stuff. And some of the stuff I, I had, you know, I owned my own. And I brought it down and uh, worked with Roger. And eventually uh, we uh, developed equipment. Dr. Knight eventually bought the rivet equipment we're using. And then we hold put on, on Hold workshops. on, just a real quick second. Yeah. Did you invent something? I mean, did you like come up with a new oh, methodology? Yes. So yeah. you can, <laughs> okay, back it up a click. You, you, you decided something wasn't working correctly. This is what I mean about your creativity. <laughs> and human inquisitive nature Anyway, can you just go into that just a little bit? Well, what was happening is when we were riveting, when you rivet, so you, let's say you get a couple angles, you know, heavy-duty angles, and you put a series of holes in them, and then you dry the rivets. Well, if you want to dry some more rivets than that, you have to take them out. If you know anything about riveting, and that's what a lot of these engineers don't understand, is that these rivets are very hard to take out. <laughs> very hard to take out. Why wouldn't they understand that? It seems, to me, it would seem like you angle grinder, forget it. You know, you'd have to use dynamite. You know, the practically, because, and yeah. what, so what Roger and these guys were doing, they were trying to, they do the hydraulic jack, they've done everything to try. And then I come up with this idea of, okay, so let's, let's make a fixture where you can dry the rivets, take the fixture apart, dry some more and knock the rivets out. People can see what they look like, yeah. put the fixture back together yeah. and dry some more rivets. Showing so, the anatomy of the process. I had um, Bethlehem uh, working with a, a historian out of Bethlehem Museum and he built one and he uh, puts on demonstration once in a while. So I'm trying to encourage more of the uh, educational. I know a few people in universities that I've trained to rivet trying to, you know, hopefully they'll be able to build that fixture so they can yeah. keep training. I hope so, too. It yeah. sounds like it would be a really but great was, teaching uh, tool. It's in the, And so these guys, they cut it down pat now. I just sat back. So they put a demonstration on. There's a, an advanced class called the structural fabrication class I designed years ago, and I turned it over to Jeff Haynes and Scott Paul teach it now. But they have every semester we do we have a rivet demonstration through uh, structural fabrication class. They introduce mm -hmm. the students to mm -hmm. probably the only students, uh, any student, in it, whether it's a community college or university, that have experience with a rivet hammer and riveting process. So that's one of the things that, uh, as I find dis disappointing, is the fact that there's no major industrial museum in the United States that has a single I think about riveting. Really? Even though the buildings they're in are riveted. That structures. surprises me because it's the backbone. There's yeah. a, there's a, um, I think it's in 
Chicago. It might be in New York City. I just saw it online the other day. It's in a some type of museum setting for maybe industrial America. Anyway, you're familiar with the famous photo of the iron workers sitting on the oh, beam. Oh, yeah, right. And right. there's a sculpture. And it's for those out there who are unfamiliar with this famous photo, this thing just gives you the willies because <laughs> these guys that are so used to just walking along on these beams, you know, you know, hundreds of feet up in the air, they're all sitting on an I-beam on the suspended I-beam having lunch. They got their lunch boxes open and they're chowing <laughs> down there looking up like, what's the big deal? Well, this place in New York has a, a beam because it's a tourist attraction. Right, right. You can come up with a group of people oh. and you can sit on it and they'll, they'll bring it up and there's a picture of right. the city behind oh. it to make it, to reenact right. it. And you can have your picture taken. So there is a fascination with yeah. that. I mean, right. it, it goes very, very deep. Right. So I had, um, you know, it's, it's disappointing. I tried to, get the museums interested in it i might have made some progress in the last maybe in the last week tell you the truth yeah but my wife planned a great trip a three-week trip through the uk your wife is uh, was an instructor here wasn't she Lansing community college math instructor a very Man. successful math instructor that's right anyway <laughs> yeah yeah and uh She's done a lot of projects with some of the things that we did in structural fab and riveting see but we went through this um, beautiful bridges. And in Manchester, the UK, we went through a museum that had this beautiful riveted building inside riveted structures. Mm-hmm. And in, in one uh, display, they had a, the original steam engine there. And I told my wife, I said, oh, they, I bet they've got some riveting displays here. And I went up to the desk and I said, I said you got anything on riveting? What's that? I said, your really? building is riveted. And she said, no, we don't. I said, well, don't feel bad. There's nobody in the United States that has it neither. That is astounding to me because <laughs> I, I mentioned in a previous meeting, I, I was in Portland, Oregon a couple of times, and you can't help but not yeah. be blown away by these things, oh, these yeah. mo- monstrous bridges that are yeah. hundreds, thousands of rivets, and yeah. you walk through. Yeah. Now, something that has always fascinated me, regardless of whatever it is, in exploring this and learning more about the bridges, has there ever been anything, um, speaking of great ideas, that you uncover in your work and you look at the stuff that was done years and years and years ago and you go, this guy was brilliant. Look what he did. Or is it all uh, like standardized? I mean, I know there's blueprints and plans, but I remember hearing these stories of these guys that would fabricate the bombers for World War II and they would just come up with stuff on the fly. And they're like 25. Well, you, hit, you hit an interesting yeah. in what I'm trying to write about. First of all, and I keep preaching this all the time, you can go in a library and you get hundreds and hundreds of books on the engineer that designed the structure, mm-hmm. but there's not a single book about the, actually men and women, actually. Of course. Women, there were women yeah. that drove rivets and worked in factories. It's not there. And trying to uncover that information mm-hmm. is, is very difficult, even um, something... Something as simple, if you go on a bridge, you'll see what they refer to as, as an eye bar. Okay. And there's a technique from making it. And there's I have found absolutely no historic record on how it, I know how it's done it's now. It's a caster. But there's, you know, it's forge welded. It's amazing. That's one of the things I have an opportunity working at Lansing Community College. The staff down there has been working with me like I, you know, I need to, mm-hmm. I'll take wrought iron. 
you know, have them, they'll prepare it for me so I can investigate it and look at it and, and mm-hmm. write about it mm-hmm. or the rivet process. But yeah, that's a good question because that's exactly the issue that I'm trying to deal with because I see a lot of things on a bridge yeah. that's been fabricated and I haven't got a clue how it's been fabricated. But you know why? And, oh yeah. And then, yeah. then there's, um, so if you look at a diagonal, long diagonal on a bridge, mm-hmm. And there's a technique, they'll forge weld it. And there's a punch mark. There's, so there's a series of marks on there, fabrication marks on it. Mm-hmm. And I've discovered these on a number of bridges around the country, these yeah. punch marks. And, okay. it's for, it's for, and there's, I have uh, no documentation of what the punch marks were for and why, the, you know, why they're there. So it's another article I'm going to write up. Yeah. On. But anyway, it's Necessity uh, that's a great story of, because of it's, just not, uh, it's not there anymore. Yeah. I don't know what. Well, people were encouraged to think on their feet. You know, well, more it, than, more than yeah. they do today, I think. I, mean, I might be wrong. No, you know, it's a lot of times you'll come up with a situation that you've got to solve a problem, but you don't write it down. You just do the job. Do <laughs> I've been in a situation in steel fabrication being a foreman or being a fitter, there's no such thing as it can't be done. You know, you know, if if you go up to the boss and say, well, gee, I can't do that, you're going to be out frying hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. What did uh, I heard? Uh, well, Doctor Robinson said it's a poor uh, engineer that blames the tools or something along those lines. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To cut right yes. down to it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yep. touching briefly, just to back up a minute, because um, the uh, the war efforts and women working on these lines. Really short story. I, res- I restored a, a, a wood plane for my father-in-law. Mm-hmm. He loaned it to me and it was it was a mess. And so I, rest- I completely brought it up to, to like brand new. And um, it was overbuilt. I mean, I looked it up and uh, it seemed like it was never designed to fail. It was mm-hmm. like that before you, mm-hmm. people would design an obsolescence or, or what, <laughs> what have you. And I was on a forum and somebody mentioned that Stanley the company that made this back when, they're still around, I believe, they knew that women were going to be making their planes because mm-hmm. their workforce had joined the armed services. Mm-hmm. So so they designed the planes to be heavier because they figured the women wouldn't, they would grind them down too much or waste. <laughs> so they, they tried to compensate for it on the front end. And you know what? They did fine. Yeah. They did absolutely great. <laughs> and so you have a number of these planes that are overbuilt because the company thought right. anyway. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I always thought that was an interesting story. Well, I want to talk about your art. Maybe if I, if I can have you back to talk uh, about the art that you've created. But the bridge thing is just so fascinating to me. Is there any single project that you can look back on that you're most proud of? And if so, why? Th- thinking back oh. over the number of things. I, I, um, I tell you what I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done projects and I've done this wall project and I did uh, and some other stuff here at Lansing Community College. But the thing I enjoyed the most doing was creative welding. And my approach to creative welding was I wanted them to come up with an idea, to come in with an idea and I'll help you convert it to steel. I had the most fun in doing enjoy and so and i think i mentioned the fact that this young this fellow here oh sure and uh he um he did this ugly thing big cut up a lot of material waste lot and i told him i said you know i said you're not using the steel in the right way Mm -hmm. you know you need to 
take what steel represents or what it can what it can do its quality its its, its character and so he went down and bought these spoons at Myers, I think, probably, and he had some washers, and he really creative in building this jewelry box for his girlfriend. How about that? And uh, it, it sort of reminds me of Picasso's bowl, which comprises oh, yeah. of a seat, mm-hmm. bicycle seat, and handlebars. Yeah. And what was interesting, his name was Ken, and I ran into him this year at uh, Scrap Fest down here in Lansing. Sure, um, which is amazing. North by the way. Lansing. Yeah. And he called me, hey, Vern, remember me? And he said, he, knew, and he always remembered that um, I'm sure. box, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I never had Jack Bergeron as a student. Mm-hmm. But what Jack did, what's interesting, now he's very young right there. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know Jack. He had, and I brought him down a few times to mm-hmm. my structure, my Created one class in, with his sculpture because I wanted students. I said, "This is, this is what I mean by taking this this metal." It said, "You you don't make something that you can create with wood or create with clay or create with concrete. You take the the, the metal, the steel, and and what it can do, yeah. and that's what he did. Definitely, you could recognize." Jack Bergeron just looking at that piece. And it's just a, it's pieces of rod and metal welded together and created that structure. Yeah. So that's what I try to get, you know, think about when students come in and create a welding. So come in with your idea, and I'd like to help you make that. There was a, a type of fearlessness um, associated with Jack's work. Uh, it, truly, I mean, there was a daring that um, many creatives just don't possess or they possess in very short amounts. Jack seemed to have no um, shortage of it. And one of his creations is, resides outside of our former university center here. And it's, mm-hmm. I had all kinds of questions about how he did it, you know, innovating and thinking on your feet like that. And the bull, the Picasso bull example that you showed there is a... Uh, Today, there's this, what I see in any way in my feeds, a, a movement in art where the artwork is designed to challenge your perceptions. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, well, there's a, there's a guy who's a sculptor, he sculpts in marble, he'll do like a pillow, like a down pillow with mm-hmm. wrinkles and everything cut out of marble. <laughs> and it looks like a pillow. I mean, you want to put your head on it. It's like that. It's like a, it just right. messes with your head a little bit. Right. You know, there's, there's plenty of that that's going on with, with light and with steel and shadows and so on. People are just thinking further and further out. Um, I think uh, I'd like to have you back, if that's okay, because we we didn't hardly touch on your artwork. And I just mentioned to you before this meeting, I was walking up a stairwell in our Gannon building. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a portion in our our Gannon building on LCC's downtown campus where there's a very open double staircase, like a master staircase all the way up. And there are these... um, I see there's a picture on the table right there. There's iron sculptures of various local landmarks up there. Mm-hmm. Intricately, beautifully designed things that this gentleman designed and made. And I want to talk about those because, as I mentioned, I, I looked at that Capitol Dome and I just, <laughs> I stopped. Yeah. I literally stopped in my tracks because taking it in and the detail and the gauging and the, the finishing, it just um, didn't look like anything done around here. Nothing against here, but right. it looked like... Something you'd see in Europe, or I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, so, yeah. It's, um, I, Dr. Gannon, he was going to start an industrial center, mm-hmm. and uh, this is supposed to be the introduction to it. You know, and so one of the things that when I drew it all up, I drew it all up, scaled it up, 
and I knew, had an idea what I wanted to do with the Capitol and the rest of the building. What I really liked about this project is when Bill Dar said, we're going to give it to Vern because he can get it done. Awesome. But with no nervousness there, were you nervous about that at all? You just no. no, you stepped right into it. No. Well, sir, we're we're a little short on time. We're going to wrap up, but if you don't mind coming back, I think we could keep rolling. Great. Vern Messler, uh, LCC steel fabrication instructor and uh, artist extraordinaire. Thank you for coming down for Art Happens Here. Okay, thank you. Leonardo da Vinci once said, "Poor is the pupil who does not surpass his master." If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in April to Dart Auditorium, Lansing Community College presents My Emperor's New Clothes by Larry Shu. This musical play for children of all ages is adapted from the story by Hans Christian Andersen. Colorful, brightly comic, and a truly delightful treat, this lively theater piece is filled with funny lines, hummable songs, and fast-paced action. Performances April 5th through the 13th. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash showinfo. Feeling froggy? Well, leap into 20-plus podcasts at lccconnect.org. At Home with Economics is a space where we explore business, workforce, and community development initiatives and how they impact our daily lives. I'm your host, Bo Garcia. Find out more and listen on demand lccconnect.org. Hi, I'm Marcel Spears. Keeping our global neighborhood safe is a tough job, one made just a bit safer with the help of America's brave military dogs. These dogs, who often take the same risks and make the same sacrifices as our human warriors, keep our troops safe by sniffing out bombs and IEDs, locating enemy positions, and bringing a sense of comfort and home to an almost unimaginable circumstance. Yet, when these brave canine heroes retire, they're not always given the same treatment as our military VIPs and are too often left overseas. American Humane works to bring home these valiant dogs and reunite them with the people who mean the most to them, their handlers, so they can enjoy happy, healthy, well-deserved retirements. To learn how you can help America's four-footed heroes, visit AmericanHumane.org. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Headroom where we discuss all things essential to mental health and well-being. I'm your host, Jim Owens, a licensed professional counselor at Lansing Community College. Before we begin, I'd like to emphasize that while this podcast does not constitute psychotherapy, it does introduce you to some phenomenal people who have incredible ideas for you in your life. 
Having said that, let's get into the headroom and begin today's conversation with Sam Boltman, one of our advisors here at LCC. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. All right. Excited to be here. Yeah, I know this is your first radio show. Yeah, this is the first time, so everything feels new. Well, I'm a counselor, and you're actually a a licensed professional counselor, too. I am. So let me just check in with how are you feeling right now being on on radio, and we're also being video recorded. How are your, where are your feelings at? Cautious. (laughs) This is going to go down in history, right? Right. (laughs) It's going to be reviewed. This will be reviewed. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, we know obviously you work at LCC and I know you as a, as a counselor and we have that in common, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, what do you want people to know about you a little bit? I think, uh, I mean, in the college setting, the first thing that I think of is I'm a first generation college student. Oh, I didn't know that. My dad poured concrete uh, his whole life and still is. This is his last season. So I, uh-huh. I grew up in a blue collar family kind of northwest of Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom worked as a as a bank teller, uh, and I got the encouragement to go for hmm. higher education because they didn't have those mm-hmm. chances. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, working at a college, having been able to go at, mm-hmm. to college, I feel a lot of gratitude for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of how I got interested in helping people uh, yeah, like yeah. get to where they want to go, whether that's in academic advising or whether that's uh, something that they're working through in yeah. personal counseling. Yeah. I think that's kind of why I wanted to be a, a helper. No, I can see that you want to lift people up to a higher yeah. st- station in life, but also health as well. Right. And your parents did that for you. I mean, I didn't know you were a first generation student. These are the things like we meet yep. people. You have a master's degree. Yep. I mean, you, went to, you went far. <laughs> right. When you started, you were like, I'm going to be the first one. Yeah. I'm going to go up to where 8% of the population yeah. lands. Yeah. My wife is actually a clinical psychologist. <sighs> yeah. And so I always kind of joke. I'm like, I'm just a master's level clinician. <laughs> yeah. Not a fancy doctor. Yeah, like she's the doctor. Yeah. yeah. But that's a, that's a huge generational jump mm-hmm. for to come from, as you say, blue collar workers, literally yep. laying cement and pouring cement. Right to you work in, you are an academic, you work in academia and your wife's a scholar and she's right. a psychologist. That's, yep. That's a big jump. Did yeah. it feel like a big jump? Yeah, I think it felt like a jump. I think in the same way, like I still enjoy the blue collar work. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this, mm-hmm. like the work of counseling and advising mm-hmm. is so process oriented yeah. that I love it, yeah. but I also want to do things physically with my body that kind of fill up my cup. Like I like to mow the lawn and see the stripes be just so I Mm -hmm. like to paint the room. Like I like to get the project done where I can also see a result. Yeah. Yeah. To balance the process oriented work with like a tangible physical result. Yeah. I think is a, is a healthy framework to approach. I can relate to that. I don't know if you knew this, but my dad was a builder. So I grew up swinging hammers and building, you know, framing houses and, Mm-hmm. drywalling and like all of the things mm-hmm. but both of our work and this I think is relatable to students in a second here it's pretty it's kind of abstract the outcome that we get as, yeah. as helpers and healers and I think that's kind of part of the experience of being a college student like you're laboring away in class right and you don't exactly see like you're at week eight of calculus but it doesn't feel like you've right. gone anywhere necessarily mm-hmm. except yeah when somebody's laboring through like say like some general education courses yeah it it really can be a hard thing to sit there and be like delayed gratification. That's it. It's coming. Right. You're not there yet, but you're going to get there. Like keep the faith, keep moving, keep going. Yeah. You know, and then even in the end, after so many years of laboring, what we hope for our students and what we got was this piece of paper. 
Right. It's a diploma. Right. I know. <laughs> we well, spend not, all not just that, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Potentially tens of thousands of dollars of students. Well, that's what, <laughs> no, that too. Yeah, 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 that's right. College isn't getting any cheaper. Yeah. But that's also like in terms of all the work we put in, we get little report cards at the end of the semester. Yeah. But it is hard, I think, for students to stay motivated. Right. It was for me, especially mm-hmm. through gen ed. Obviously, the further we got in our education, the more interesting it became. And right. finally, we were studying the thing we really loved. Sure. But before that, you're getting through a lot of gen ed and it's hard to, isn't it? I guess it's kind of hard to stay motivated when you don't see a product coming as the result of your labor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I encourage my students, like as much as possible, like begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Try to see if you can identify a goal or a place mm-hmm. where you can see yourself. Mm-hmm. Because if you can find your purpose. Yeah. You know, then it, it can make some of the things that feel mon- more mundane, mm-hmm. like you have a reason to fight for it. Yeah. Yeah. If you can see, like sometimes they use the image of dominoes. If you can see these dominoes that are going to fall, mm-hmm. you know which one you're, you've got to go topple next, whether that's history or humanities or writing. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So were you prepared for college when you went? Yeah, I felt prepared academically. Like I yeah. didn't feel like the classes were above me. Mm-hmm. I Like I worked in high school, but then I also worked after Mm. I feel like I was busier in high school sometimes than I was like now, but I felt academically prepared, but I didn't feel prepared for like, how do I pick a career or how do I pick a major? Uh, Like I was one of those kids that changed Mm -hmm. their majors several times Mm -hmm. and there was some foreshadowing of like, I kind of enjoyed reading (laughs) like through the little curriculum books. And I was like, that was a precursor Mm -hmm. to, I think being an advisor. Mm -hmm. Um, I like solving that puzzle of, Mm how do I strategically plot the next mm-hmm. path? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of what advisors do is they teach some critical thinking, yeah. some problem solving skills yeah. um, of how to, you know, approach a decision. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things we, we teach in advising. How, how stuck are do you think about students with how stuck are students with their, I'm not sure what I want to do. I don't know what my purpose is yet. I mean, do you hear that a lot? Or Yeah, I, th- I think that's not a new issue. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's s- developmentally, that's part of the human experience is like, where do I fit in the world? Yeah. Uh, especially with our college students today, though, mm-hmm. coming out of COVID, mm-hmm. out of isolation, yeah. back into a world that isn't the same. Where do I fit? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a big big question mm-hmm. and so you have to balance meeting that person with a lot of empathy and also mm-hmm. trying to give them some real tangible options to say mm-hmm. here's some tools you can put in your toolkit mm-hmm. yeah that concept of where do you fit I, i'm thinking back to what it was like when i was a freshman in college and of course mm-hmm. when i came to school and people have heard this before i kind of followed in my father's footsteps i went to college to be an architect yep. not not a big difference from from um building but where i thought i fit in the world was kind of a different idea than where I wanted to fit. Like eventually I got to this notion, like, I think I want to be an academic. I think I want to be a counselor. I think I want to be a professor. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that fits. Like I just didn't have Mm -hmm. enough background to know if you would have asked me, what do I think I can do versus what I want to do? I would have given you very different answers. Mm -hmm. Do you encounter that with students? Yeah, I I think so. I think the preconceived notions are pretty powerful. Um, I mean, We know that too, like family of origin, you know, personal history plays a tremendous influence. And so that it makes a big, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a big difference there. And then people's brains aren't fully developed typically with the frontal lobe till they're 25, 26, 27 sometimes. So 
you're in a developmentally interesting stage in yeah. life trying to make big decisions for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, so I always admire kind of the spirit of our community college students in particular who are also working, yeah. balancing adult lives, and then trying to better themselves with uh, with their education. They do a remarkable job. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still always struck by students who feel sometimes reticent to talk about or ashamed about they want to change their major, which I know mm -hmm. you hear too. And they're like, well, are we allowed to do that? You know, yeah. like, I, like you say, developmentally, we discover things about ourselves in classes. Right. Sometimes we get mm -hmm. like, for me, psychology class, things started switching on for me and relationship conversations going in certain directions. Things right. started switching on for me. I thought, man, designing houses is really sounds cool, but right. people are, seem cooler. I think right. I'm more interested <laughs> in people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. So one more thing about your college experience. I mean, you had the support of your family behind you as in mm -hmm. we want this for you. They didn't exactly forewarn you of what you were going to experience when you got there because they hadn't been there themselves. Right. Um, like you might say to people, well, you're probably going to change your major a few times mm -hmm. and probably yeah. going to go through this huge developmental process and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, was there stuff that made that difficult, that transition difficult, not having the support of, well, I don't know if support's the right word, but if, you know, like uh, where they had a map kind of laid out for you, like, Sam, you're going to go to college. This is what it's going to be like. Yeah. I mean, was, that, was that challenging to kind of be the first generation? Yeah, I think there is some challenge inherent yeah. to it. I think there's just a lot that you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And I didn't even know, like, what are some of the questions to even ask? Good point. What are the scholarships to even look for? Right. I started grad school, for example. It's not mm -hmm. undergrad, but I didn't even know there was a thing such a thing as like a graduate assistantship yeah. or a teaching assistantship. Yeah. Um, so those things were mm -hmm. different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's some of that institutional knowledge you, you might have known. But at the same time, I think kind of the blue collar background mm -hmm. provided me with a, like a lot of grit. Like mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm not I'm not oh, giving up. Man. I'm going to, you know, slug my way through this. Mm -hmm. So I had some. Yeah, you have the benefits of your background too, yeah, yeah, not yeah. just the detriments of it. Yeah, the, the, you had some liabilities, but you had some assets yep. that yeah, you absolutely. could apply. Yeah, yeah. Was there anything or a, t a time when you were in college when you were like, maybe this isn't for me? Maybe I'll go work in dad's business or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I don't think there was ever a time in college where I thought I'm going to give up and not earn my degree. I think I did have a moment where I had a two semester foreign language requirement. Mm. And I think I'd done the first year of a foreign language class and then I'd waited or skipped the mm. second year for mm. like years. And so <laughs> I had forgotten like most of what I'd learned in the 101 yeah. uh, Spanish course and then came to my senior year. And I remember I'd done a semester abroad in okay. Budapest and I did some uh, some language stuff there. And uh -huh. I went into the registrar's office and I, I said, hey, can you can you make something happen for me? <laughs> that was the time where I was like, I really don't want to do yeah, this. And yeah. I was fortunate that uh, they were a kind person and, wow. and subbed that that out for me. Subbed that experience for yep. your foreign language. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> yep. So lesson is go abroad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Probably inspires you to give grace when you can. Just mm -hmm. to like, yeah, oh, absolutely. I think we can make that apply. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yep. So um, let's talk about mental health. This is sure maybe our. I don't know if it's our main interest. Probably, but yeah. uh, it is for me for sure, and I know it is for you. But it, we think about it in different ways and the different roles we we serve in. But right. what do you think are some of the challenges that students are facing right now with regard to their mental health? I think. <laughs> 
There are several, yeah. and I'll preface it with saying that there typically aren't simple solutions to complex problems. Yeah. Uh, what I what I really think the main problem is is isolation. Okay. I I see. I think that people are wired for connection. Mm -hmm. They're wired to get to know each other, mm -hmm. sit across the room from one another. Mm -hmm. And I, I think at a commuter campus like LCC, mm -hmm. coming in person, like the connection, like some of the, it's harder to do yeah. than it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. And so we're coming up with lots of creative ways to, to get that yeah. connection done. But I think ultimately to miss, to be virtual, mm -hmm. like in high school, mm -hmm. to not go to some of the, to the prom, to yeah. the graduation, to have some of the, the marker events that you and I remember. Yeah, yeah. And then to come into college and to have that be new, yeah. but then to be doing it with other people that weren't connecting, you weren't connecting with your, your, yeah. your peers three years ago, yeah. pick it up now. Yeah. That's that's the hard bit. So if I had to just choose one, yeah. and there's several, I would say isolation one. and reintegration yeah. of community of relationships. Yeah. I think that's the challenge. Yeah, I see it like like that exactly. I see that myself, but maybe in two ways. One is not only are they isolated, but because they've been isolated for the last few years, their skill set is pretty rusty at mm -hmm. how to get back right. into relationship with people. Right. It's that type of thing where I'm married now, like my spouse is mm -hmm. a wonderful person, but if I had to go back into the dating pool, <laughs> oh goodness, like I'd be rusty. Like, uh, yeah. hi, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. it's that type of thing. Yeah. If you haven't been social yeah. for a minute, yeah. But then you would have to, using that as an analogy, you'd have to be willing to be vulnerable and awkward and exactly. like trip over yourself, yep. all in pursuit of this greater good. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And it's kind of like, well, maybe the temperature of this, this water is good enough where I'm at right, right now. It could be a little warmer over there. Yep. I'm not sure if it's worth it, right? right. Like, yeah, I see that. And I've heard other people say on the, on the show here, like isolation. And I don't know if we would have said that to the same extent pre-pandemic. Right. I think we probably would have still brought that up. Yep. But I think you're right. Like having missed out on these major hallmarks of these rites of passage mm -hmm. and then at our school, it's it's largely commuter school. And I was commenting to someone earlier. It actually wasn't like that four or five years ago. You'll remember there were students all over the place. Right. We had a huge cafeteria with multiple restaurants. Mm -hmm. We had seating all over campus, uh, outside and inside. People were hanging out and studying together mm -hmm. and, and getting food together. And just like it seemed, you know, I know we have a lot of students back on campus, but it's still kind of dart in, dart out mm -hmm. a little bit right now. Yep. And I know we're working on as a campus to try to figure out how to help people feel like they can s stay here and make more connection. But yeah. I don't know. Do you have any advice for for people when you talk to them about, I mean, this is what you'd recommend. You probably need more connection. Here's mm -hmm. how you can get it. Or I know you said there's no simple solutions. Yeah. I think in general, like when you think of like, what are the things that I love doing? Mm -hmm. What are the things that are my hobbies or my pursuits? Mm -hmm. And whether that's through an LCC club or organization, whether that's a specific career community here mm -hmm. or whether it's in the greater Lansing community, like if you love playing tennis, hop online, try to find a group of folks who love playing tennis, yeah. who love doing some of the same things that you might love yeah. doing. Or, you know, we've got the Michigan Reconnect Scholarship here at LCC. You think, hey, you know what? That's going to be lowered to age 21. 
I can come back in, I can come to school, I can learn some things that I always wanted to learn that can connect me with a specific community that maybe I couldn't have been connected with before. Like maybe I wanted to work on cars. Hey, I could come in and take an auto course. I can come in and take a welding class. Those are the types of things that I think if you can stay curious to keep learning and Mm -hmm. find people who are curious about some of the similar things that you Mm -hmm. are, Mm -hmm. I think that's a non-pressurized way Mm -hmm. to meet somebody because to sit kind of inorganically to say, Hey, I'd love to get to know you. (laughs) Like that can be hard if you're just Mm -hmm. like, there's a cup of coffee in the Mm -hmm. middle of the table. Like let's talk, you know, that's a lot more like it's not as organic of a yeah. conversation. Yeah. Whereas I feel like if you have something like a shared activity, yeah. that's easier. And so that would be my advice. Not that it's easy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but to find, to find activities and hobbies that you could share with Pro- someone. Probably the irony here is that it's probably easier now than it ever has been to find a group right. that you have an affinity with. Yep. However, right, right. <laughs> it might be harder now than it's ever been right. to get ourselves out the door and mm-hmm. into that group because probably whatever we're into, there's it's easy to find that group online somewhere. Yep. And I could probably get myself there mm-hmm. if they're meeting in public, which frankly a lot of them are. I mean, some right. are meeting online, doing their things. You can't play tennis online, but yep. there's a lot of other things that people are doing online now that they used to right. do face to face. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a great irony, right? Like it's probably easier to do this. And I do have these conversations with students too, and I think they know that this would be good for them. Right. But they're just not totally motivated to like take that risk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And well, it's it's like exercise. Uh, I'm reading a book called Spark, which is the connection mm-hmm. between essentially exercise and brain health. Yeah. It argues uh-huh. that uh, that essentially like your body, your physical health is that's a secondary benefit to the benefit to your brain. Yeah. That's the author's hypothesis. Yeah. So. It, it, it takes practice. It takes mm-hmm. yeah some commitment. What about other things? Have you thought of other things you wanted to say about what are essential to mental health besides connection? Besides connection, I think one general thing again, but I, I would argue that most people, and this includes myself, mm-hmm. uh, most people are pain avoidant. Mm, yep. And being pain avoidant, ultimately pain is part of your story. And to to integrate the pain, Mm -hmm. to talk about your story, to Mm -hmm. acknowledge it Mm -hmm. and then not to have that pain get to have the only seat at the table. Yeah. I think when people are really hurting, their pain needs to be acknowledged and they need to make it congruent with their story. Yeah. But also to encourage that person and to recognize there is more to your story than just your pain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Like people, and you and I both do this. Part of our job is to help them turn around and look at it. Right. And they don't want to do that because they think that's the only thing that's there. Right. Is pain. Yep. And what you're saying is like, there's a whole lot more to you as a human being in mm-hmm. this story than that moment of pain or that yeah. experience of pain. Even if it was longstanding and frequent, mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like to lead somebody into that part of their life and, and try to help walk them through that. Cause I know that's one of the things you do as a counselor is. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of times folks want to stay there in the pain. Yeah. Ooh. In, in other words, to not let go, to say, this is it. This is what happened. Yeah. I can't move forward because of the pain. Yeah. That's the challenge yeah. to say to a person that is kind of in the hole mm-hmm. who's hurting yeah. to say, 
there is light up here. Yeah. How do we, we crawl up and see that there's more than just this yeah. part of you? I like internal family systems. Yeah, me too. You know, and uh, yeah. that that theory that there are many parts of ourselves and to yeah. try to compliment a person to say, you know, this part of you that was so anxious, that was yeah. hurting, this got you through some really difficult yeah. times. Yeah. And now this part of you, it doesn't have to work yeah. so hard. It doesn't have to work as hard as it has been working. Mm -hmm. And we can allow some other parts of you, the, mm -hmm. the silly part of you or the right, comedic part right, of you right. to also get a seat at the table yeah. and reintroduce parts of themselves that they've forgotten about or that yeah. they've lost. Yeah. Um, I think if you can do that to show them other parts of themselves that they can help remember, yeah. that helps them remember that they're more than, than just their pain too. Yeah. Like they, I guess what you're saying, and I know IFS a little bit, Richard Schwartz, if you want to read more people, mm -hmm. yep. um, they over identify with that pain. Maybe yep. and that's the major character in their story, Yep. which it is. A I mean, these moments of pain in our lives, let's just call them traumas, whatever you want. They are defining moments in our story. They are mm -hmm. major turning points in our yeah. stories, but they are not the story itself. I mean, who would want that to be the whole story, right? right. The, the beginning, the end, the yeah. middle. And we don't want that for anybody. We want freedom for them on the other side of that. Exactly. Um, ooh. So how do they get that with the help of a counselor, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> yep. it's really, this is a difficult task to mm -hmm. do on one's own. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. And I think there was an analogy from a counseling professor that always resonated with mm. me. And it was kind of a weird triangle of like self-awareness will mm -hmm. then lead to self-understanding, mm -hmm. which then can lead to change. Mm -hmm. And yeah. helping folks understand what's happening around them, where they've been, that yeah. allows them to utilize some of the strengths that they already have yeah. to then go, okay, where do I want to go? Yeah. Um, but until you address like what's happened and also like, what am I feeling? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You probably run into this, like sometimes particularly with, uh, a male client maybe, mm -hmm. but to say like, Oh, I, well, I don't do emotions. And I was oh, like, yeah. I've never met one of <laughs> those before. Mm -hmm. Um, all human beings do emotions mm -hmm. and emotions are also a gift. Yeah. They're telling us something about our story, even emotions that are considered bad, like yeah. anger. That's that's letting you know Ooh, something's yeah. not right, you know. So, yeah, I, tune I wanna, in. Yeah, I want to reframe that a little bit because I taught a class. I think it was a counseling skills class, and there was a chapter in it that had all the feeling words. Mm -hmm. Like there was a page that had all the feeling words. Two things to note: one, the negative feelings list was massive. It was like mm -hmm. 50 words yep. <laughs> and the positive feelings words was like 20. Yep. Right? It was like half the, <laughs> you've seen these before, yep. but I had all my students scratch out positive and negative feelings and I had them rewrite in their books, pleasant and unpleasant mm -hmm. because there's really no such thing as a negative emotion to me. I just wanted yeah. them to reframe it to like some feelings are fun to feel and some yeah. feelings are not fun to feel. No, that's a but good word. They're needed. To, you have to feel them. Mm -hmm. Like gr grieving is, it's not fun. It's painful to go through loss, but you cannot stall. You can stall yourself from going through it if you want. And then you're stuck there. And that's the feeling you're going to feel for a long time. Yeah. Unless you can get through the other side mm -hmm. of it. So good. Yeah. Right. Like I love pleasant, that. unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of 1950s words. Maybe yeah. how do you feel pleasant? I don't yeah. know. It feels a little <laughs> old fashioned, but yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's, that's huge. That's a big task. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a big, it's a lifelong project probably for, for most of us. Yeah. And I think that is part of the point, right? Mm -hmm. I think this kind of work, it is process oriented. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't feel that 
you get to the end and like, well, now I'm a completed work. Yeah. I feel like uh, we're trying to fill the cup up as we as we go. Yeah. You and I aren't products. We're processes. Exactly. We're never done. Right. This this cement is never cured. Mm-hmm. It's never. <laughs> the house is never like. Yeah. There's, there's this for sale sign out front. It's never done. Mm-hmm. Actually, houses are never done. Right. That's I mean, that's true. kind of a thing. Yeah. As homeowners, no, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> houses are never done, and people we're never done either. But we're working on it as we yeah. go. Yeah. Yep. Well, we got a couple minutes left. Anything else you want to share, like tips or ideas for students on mental health or anything? Uh, I guess I go back to the the book that I was reading. Yeah. I think talk therapy is incredibly beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful. I think many of the things like medications, if you need an antidepressant or an mm-hmm. anti-anxiety, absolutely talk with your general practitioner yeah. and consider doing that. Yeah. I think those things need to be normalized. Yeah. And at the same time, exercise, yeah. good sleep, like the basic hygiene yeah. of mental health. If yeah. you're feeling down it's not the time to be using alcohol or other substances. If you're feeling down, like going for a run or getting in the gym or Mm -hmm. really getting your body to sweat, Mm -hmm. the connection between your body and your mind is so strong. I'm such a huge believer in that. And especially as the winter months approach, be as active as you can be. Moving your body is one of the best things that's in your power, like Mm -hmm. in your locus of control Mm -hmm. that you can do for your mental health. So. That'd be my my other tip is to really pay attention to your physical health because it's the same thing as your mental health. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I'm going to have a few guests on the show here in the next couple of months that are physical fitness people mm-hmm. because I, I believe very strongly the same as you about, and we know from the research, exercise and sleep are the two yep. main things you really need to, and we all know this, yep. we've all been told this since like kindergarten or yep. whatever, high school health class. Yep. But, and I like, I appreciate that you underscored Come see a therapist if mm-hmm. you want to work through this stuff because we're out here. Yep. And if you go and see a counselor and it wasn't a great fit, it's because relationship is really one of the most important ingredients in counseling. If mm-hmm. it doesn't feel right, go to the next counselor. Yep. Right? Because the techniques are very similar, but the people are different. Yeah. And that matters a lot. So yeah. I would say here at LCC, and I'll wrap up the episode with this, is if you are currently enrolled student at LCC and you want access to free mental health care counseling, you have it. Mm-hmm. You can see there's four counselors on staff here. We're pretty busy, but we have openings. Mm-hmm. So if you want that, you can come in. If you want to learn more about that, students can go to lcc.edu slash counseling. And I want to thank you again, Sam, for coming on the, the headroom and sharing your wisdom with us. It was great to be here. I loved it. Cool. Thank you. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.